0: You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And today we are also joined by Dr. Jason Allen. Dr. Jason Allen serves as the fifth president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Dr. Allen serves the institution, The Classroom, as professor for preaching and pastoral ministry. He also serves the church through his preaching and writing ministries as well, which you can check out at jasonkallen.com. Dr. Allen,
2: thank you for joining the show. Hey, it's a delight to be with you. Such uh, an admirer of the Knowing podcast. And uh, Midwestern Seminary is grateful to be a sponsor of it as well. Oh, yeah. Well, we're
1: thrilled to have you guys as a partner. I mean, truly, we are. I was telling them off air so I can say it on air as well and not be lying, but uh, they're not just puffing them up. But the reality is, <laughs> is that Midwestern is assembling like it. it incredible faculty. I mean, like we've had some of the professors on the show these last couple of seasons, and they are all-stars. It has been such a joy to get to learn from them and spend time with them. And I've gotten so much feedback from our audience uh,
2: just to how excited they are to hear
1: from those profs. So way to go.
2: Hey, thank you. We're really proud of what God's given us here. It's been a remarkable story. I know we'll touch on it briefly uh, momentarily, but I appreciate your kind words. Kyle, I also uh, detected and appreciated the fact that you were, quote, telling M end quote, (laughs) Off camera, as a Southerner, uh, I resonate with your, with your shorthand there.
1: Hey, well, you know what? Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men, right? Uh, no, it's been uh, it's been a real joy. And Dr. Allen, you're actually the first seminary president we've ever had on the show. That's like the inaugural the inaugural one. This feels like a special moment. We're like 150 some odd episodes into this, and we have never had a seminary president of one of our uh, sponsors onto the show. So we're thrilled to have you.
2: Uh, again, I'm delighted to be with you.
1: Well, okay, so let's start here. Uh, actually, JT, I want you to ask this question because you, you've you spent a little bit of time in higher ed. I haven't spent much time in, in higher ed on the uh, admin side, but you know a little bit of the backdrop and the context. I want our listeners to hear the story. So tee up a question for Dr. Allen just to get our listeners acquainted with like what happened at Midwestern.
3: Yeah, out of curiosity, Cal, where did you go to seminary again? That's a uh, joke. Would- <laughs> it's a long running joke. I'm not going to do that. I just, that seminary doesn't exist anymore. And that's fine. Uh, before true. I tee up this question, uh, Dr. Allen, I've never said this to you, but, you know, so I, I did my master's degree in Dallas. I showed up to do my PhD at Southern and was enjoying my time there. I was only, gosh, maybe I'm trying to, you know, time can be hard to recollect, but it was... I might maybe had been at Southern and on campus for five weeks, 10 weeks, something like that. We had never met, and I remember being in chapel, and it being announced that you were going to Midwestern Seminary. And I'm in the back, like, this is before I was engaged and involved. I was just there to do a PhD. I wasn't, I didn't have any relationships. I was just a student. That's it. And I remember thinking to myself, where is he going? Uh, not. not and that and that, That's me as like a, just kind of a big tent evangelical showing up at institution and uh, My wife that had the that work... thought
2: too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like where, <laughs>
3: where? And, and I was, I was like thrilled, and I think we like, you know, prayed for you. We sang a song, and I was like, that's that's great. I hope he goes and serves. And and now get, being able to watch what God has done at Midwestern Seminary, certainly through the work of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of God's word, and uh, just the assembly of students, but God's done some, done something very special there. Can you kind of tell us? the story over the last 10 years, and at 10 years, that just makes me depressed to think that that was over 10 years ago a little bit. It feels like that was two years ago, but I would love to hear a little bit of the inside story of God calling you from a high-level position at another school now to leading an institution, and an institution that's growing at a rapid rate and helping send uh, missionaries to the field, pastors to churches, and people to serve in those churches.
2: Like, tell us the story. Hey, you're so kind to inquire, and uh, I'll make it brief, but the broad contours are such my wife and I both are from the Gulf Coast, from Mobile, Alabama. We both became believers in college. We both grew up in Christian homes and Baptist churches, so we're around the things of Christ, but never personally commit our lives to Christ till we are in college. Uh, we both met shortly after our respective conversions. Uh, we both were, were, were engaged when I began to sense a call to ministry, thought we'd go to law school, God calls me to ministry, step into ministry. We moved to Louisville in 2001. And from 2001 to 2012, completed the MDiv and PhD degrees, pastored a couple churches, and then served the final six and a half years in Louisville in a couple of different senior administrative roles on campus at Southern. Had five kids along the way. And uh, we were just one big, young, happy family in the year 2012 when the chairman of the search committee from Midwestern reached out to me in May of that year. Our kids were young, ages nine to four. And we were just happy young family living near campus, serving on campus, pastoring a church in Louisville as well. And I really thought if I ever left Southern, it would be to go to be a full time pastor somewhere. But through a number of circumstances, throughout 2012, I had a couple of different like Baptist and Christian evangelical colleges reach out to me about the presidency. Those presidencies, and uh, I prayed through those pretty pretty quickly because I didn't think God was calling me to do that, and, and it also clarified that I didn't perceive God was calling me to a, a life of, of Christian higher education. But it did stir within me a thought of okay, if I were going to give my life to leading institution, I think that's going to be more a, a theological institution than a, than a more general Christian uh, institution of, of Christian higher education. So we were there. Search committee called uh, that process plays out for about five, six months. In October of 2012, the board calls me to come to Midwestern. Kids are age nine to four. We moved that fall. And then then here we are some 10 uh, and a half years later. I would say to you what, what I think took place retrospectively is you had a beleaguered institution that really had underperformed since its founding in 1957 as the sixth and youngest Southern Baptist institution. It was founded in controversy. I know it's shocking to your listeners that Southern Baptists have controversy, <laughs> but it was founded in controversy over where it would be located, and then shortly after it had been started, the Elliott Controversy erupted, which was a major theological conflict on the campus throughout the 1960s. Then that fed into the broader battle for the Bible and evangelicalism and Southern Baptist life, and so the institution really just existed in a lot of controversy throughout most of its, its early years, early decades. And really, I think it had underperformed. So I, I like you, you know, in Louisville. And again, Kansas City isn't that far away, but it just wasn't really on my radar. I knew they were here. I, I had a friend or two who was, you know, had taught here, but it just wasn't an active part of my conversation. So when God called us to come, uh, we said yes in 2012 without ever even having been to campus, ever really spending time in Kansas City. But we felt mm-hmm. a strong sense of calling. We came, and the institution in 2012. Uh, had significant challenges, had reputational challenges. The previous leader uh, had been through a series of kind of leadership crises, uh, financial challenge, financial challenges were very depleted. The campus itself was largely in disrepair. And then of course, when you have those dynamics, uh, the faculty, staff morale was was lacking also. This institution about a thousand students and by God's grace, the past 10 years, we've grown to, to about 5,000 students. Uh, God it's has amazing. given us an, an incredible faculty, made us financially robust, given us the resources to build a a really beautiful campus. And uh, I think it all goes back to three words for the church. Um, That was the vision I conveyed to the board of trustees when they were interviewing me. And then when they hired me, I said, look, if you call me, here's what you're going to get. Here's what we're going to pray God will do. And so we've been really clear about those three words ever since, and that's drawn a, a a collection of faculty that's really first class, that really is not only accomplished on the scholastic front, but also is on mission, students who resonate with that with that mission. And so it's been really 10 years of trying to churn out pastors and missionaries and local church ministers who want to serve the local church. And I think that's the primary reason God has been so kind to uh to bless so much. That's incredible.
3: It really is.
0: Well, founded in controversy, but also, I'm curious where you land on the greatest controversy of all, and that is, what is the most superior form of barbecue?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I-, I thought you were building up to a barbecue question, yet. Look, I- I'm, <laughs> I, I, like before I came to Kansas City, I knew I liked barbecue, but I did not track the different genre, the genres, Texas mm-hmm. versus North Carolina mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. But having been here for 10 years and having taste and seen that the Lord <laughs> is so good to us through, uh, through barbecue meat, I'm a big believer in Kansas City barbecue. I love the sweetness that goes with it. It's not a vinegar-based, uh-huh. but more of a honey-based. Uh, my favorite restaurants in Kansas City, barbecue restaurants, are Joe's. And then Q39 would be a second, and then really a collection of four or five that would be, would rank, you know, third. And uh, Kansas City, I'm telling you, this is not, you know, me being uh, biased, I don't think, but it really is an awesome city. In my 10 years, five of those 10 years, we've had a professional sports team play for the championship, Uh, two World Series, one, one, three Super Bowls, one, two. And uh, we're large enough to be, uh, position to have the the amenities a major city ought to have, including as of this week a brand new spectacular airport. but but large <laughs> enough to have the amenities a major city should have, but not so large that we have so many of the urban challenges that a major city would have like like high degree of crime and you know major traffic challenges. we really don't have that. And so Kansas City is eminently livable. It's been a blessing for us to be here the past 10 plus years.
0: I know that your neighbors would set your lawn on fire if you said that Texas barbecue was superior, so it's cool. We'll talk about it later. <laughs>
2: that's right. That's
3: right. That's right. I, I'm just a big fan of Colorado barbecue. Out here, we're just, oh, yeah. we just don't tell you guys about it.
2: We're not yeah. Colorado it up.
0: foodies. Yeah, Colorado's <laughs> famous for its foodies. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: So, serious question: Is Colorado barbecue a thing? No, no, no the, Colorado Applebee's is nothing. where you go
0: to eat out, uh, and yeah. yeah, you
3: got Applebee's, Chili's, Qdoba, Chipotle. That's fine, fine dining here. But while we eat Chipotle, <laughs> we're looking at the mountains, and so we're oh, it's beautiful.
2: <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, the only like consumable product in Colorado that strikes me as being prevalent uh, is marijuana. Okay, having been out there <laughs> and encountering like wafting clouds of marijuana no. everywhere I go, and seeing CB dispensaries on every street corner. <laughs> see, do- see, Doctor Allen, Doctor Allen is a
1: truth teller. <laughs> JT. And I'm glad yeah. he's with us today because we've been, we've been wanting to say that for a long time and he has the boldness to say it. That's the prophetic <laughs> voice we're looking for. So,
0: uh, um, ap- apparently every inhabitant in Colorado is smoked meat. Is that what you're saying? They're, they're like just all, yeah. <laughs> they're smoking something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. Well, Dr. Allen, let me let me ask
1: you this question. Uh, and those were some great barbecue shout outs, too, for those who might be interested in going to one of Midwestern's upcoming preview days. You can check those out at mbts.edu slash future students. Check out some of the preview days that are coming up and eat some great Kansas City barbecue while you're out there. Let me ask you this last question about the institution, Dr. Allen. You became a president of a seminary in a time in which the cultural cachet on institutions was plummeting is plummeting and, and not just institutions broadly, but like religious institutions specifically, uh, that's an uphill battle. So uh, one last question on this, because I think the story of Midwestern is fascinating uh, and what God has done there is a, is a true gift. What have you learned about recovering like the beauty and the goodness of an institution for its mm-hmm. participants? I mean, you, you took a place that, you know, a lot of people, even that were familiar with it, would have acknowledged, "Hey, it's kind of in disrepair," and you've tried—not tried—it's it, become a very—it's a credible institution. I mean, like oh, yeah. an institution. When we were when we were like, "Oh, they want to partner with us," we were excited about that. In a in in a decade, against some real cultural headwinds, what have you learned about institutional credibility and in leading in that change?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. I would say a few things. And again, I I want to say these things, and please hear my heart, you, my friends here, and then your listeners. uh, This is not institutional triumphalism, it's not. I am keenly aware it's all by the grace of God. And uh, God has given and God can take away. And so I wrote a book telling the story that came out just a few months ago called Turnaround. And that book from start to finish, I try to be real clear about God's kind providence as being a longitudinal thing that not only runs throughout the book, but has ran throughout the experience here the past decade plus. Uh, I would say a few things, Kyle, That, that just experientially looking back, I, I've seen the first thing I would say is I talked about about mission for the church. I, I would flesh that out just a touch here and say I continue to be struck by the importance of an institution's identity. Period. Okay, mission is an essential component. But I believe every organizational every organization has to ask and answer three essential questions. Number one, what do we believe? Uh, matters of conviction. So we've been real clear for 10 years. We will continue to be clear about about what we believe. The second is the issue of mission. Uh, Why do we exist? Uh, Every organization needs to be able to answer why they exist. I mean, why does this podcast exist? Uh, Why does our our local church exist? Uh, Why do Christian parachurch ministries exist? That has to be answered. The third question is the question of vision. Where are we going? And that's the least important of the three. But I do think that that's necessary to galvanize uh, a constituency uh, internally, employees, those who are serving, but also externally, potential students, those who would come, donors who would support, churches who who would send, and so be really clear about those three those three matters of of, of identity. Okay. The next thing I would say is I, I think it's impossible to overstate how important it is the members who are actually on the team. Okay. Um, most organizations are careless about how they hire, everything from the numbers of people they hire. So they kind of sleepwalk into being overstaffed and before they know it, they can't really sustain the payroll they have. And so the way most Christian organizations deal with that is they just like chronically underpay a staff that is that is, that is, that is chronically uh, too, too large. And we've been really intentional not to do that uh, just so we can care for our people better financially. But not just on the numerical side as to how many employees we have, but to be hyper intentional about, about who we hire. Um, I mean, I'd rather have just a vacancy persist for months than, than to, than to hire someone that we have misgivings about. So we talk about, I man, we, especially in those early years, we treated every hire like our life depended upon it, whether it's a part time mm-hmm. janitor or an open faculty slot. The next thing I would say is, well, I, I do think that there has to be a, a spirit in the machine. Uh, And I think a part of the secret sauce for Midwestern Seminary is there's a cultural piece that is really sweet. Our people are genuinely happy to be here. Um, We've had an incredible, uh, just uh, the the tenures of our staff here, both senior and and even down within the organization, tends to run much longer than comparable organizations or institutions. Folks like being here. Uh, They tend to be on mission. They love to be, they love for the church. Uh, We're a cheerful place. I mean, folks, there's just a lot of joy, a lot of laughter. We work really hard to be an authentic community. So we talk, you know, about things like, hey, concerns, concerns need to go up. Compliments need to go around. Questions are welcome. If you're wondering why the institution made this decision or made that hire or launched that initiative, that's, that's a good. Ask that, that. Bring those questions out. So we work hard to be an institution that uh, where, 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 you know, grudges don't fester, where, where suspicions don't fester. That culture piece is huge as well. Yeah, I could go on and on, but, but those are a few of the, the key pieces. I, I would say, just to come full circle in how you framed the question, you know, there are about 300 institutions in ATS, uh, Divinity Schools and Seminaries in North America. And a major study was released about a year and a half ago that of those 300 institutions, only seven have grown consecutively the past five years. And wow. Western is the only one of the seven that have really grown a- appreciably, okay? Wow. wow. Again, don't hear triumph here. Here how uniquely difficult the context is, Mm -hmm. higher education in America, Mm -hmm. Christian higher education within that, theological education within that being more challenging. And God has been really kind through that. And I think that it goes back to some of those things I just enumerated to you as to the why. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Man, that is really encouraging. Praise God for what He's done Mm -hmm. there and what He's going to continue to do Mm -hmm. at Midwestern. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. Ten Women Who Changed the World is Seminary President Daniel Akin's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. Ten Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? I wanna turn to our topic for this episode. And I was excited about having Dr. Allen on here for this one because I know it's not only near and dear to the heart of uh, Jen, JT and I and our partnership over these last years, but it's also near and dear to the heart of Midwestern as well. One of the foundational reasons Knowing Faith exists is to increase biblical literacy among Christians. And this is a burden that is shared by Midwestern. And I'd love for the four of us to move from uh, putting Dr. Allen in the hot seat on the history of Midwestern, uh, but with our time remaining to just ask this question, how is the biblical literacy project going? We're 10 seasons into knowing faith, a little over 10 years into the journey uh, of Dr. Allen at Midwestern, uh, a decade of vocational ministry in local churches for JT and I, respectively. We're probably 45 Jen Wilkin Bible studies in living rooms <laughs> and auditoriums in. Uh, uh, w- what are we learning when it comes to biblical literacy? What seems to be working? Are the tides turning? What are the hurdles? Jen, could I put you on the spot to just uh, get a, give an opening volume if, no, if we don't were, put her on the spot. Whenever we
3: put her on the spot, she gives us a quiz. I don't need any quizzes I, today. I don't. I don't want to take true. a Bible quiz
1: today, Jen. It's true. <laughs> if we have, if we have to start, if we were starting a State of the Union on biblical literacy, Jen, where do you start? Ten years in
0: the State of the Union is better. It's better than <laughs> it was. I would say that I'm seeing really encouraging signs. Um, among younger women in particular, which is not to say that I'm not seeing them at all levels, uh, but I just think that, and, and I don't mean that it's not happening also among men, I do have a more of a vantage point or more of a, a finger on the pulse about what's happening in female circles. And, you know, for a, a population that for so many years was resourced almost entirely or entirely at the feelings level and given heavily application-driven uh, resources, I just see among younger women, they, they grew up with different cultural messages than some of the older women grew up with. Um, and so they do understand themselves as thinkers as well well as feelers, and they are receptive to the idea of a life of the mind as it relates to their faith with a little more ease than some of the older women are, which is not to say that the older women don't walk toward it and walk into it, but it it can be a little bit more of a hard turn for some of them. Um, So I'm encouraged to see younger women who, for them, it's like, well, of course, of course I would want to know my Bible, that I would want to have a working knowledge of it um, and a thinking or a a knowing faith, one might say. Mm. Yeah, one might. Not only that, but I'm encouraged by the way that they have picked up on, and I would say this is this is more broadly true um, of men and women. They are uh, they are far more willing than I would say 10 years ago they were to understand the beauty of active learning environments versus passive learning environments. Um, They are more suspect of the crush of of information and things that are available to them through online sources and thinking, I don't know if that's actually as formative as I thought that it was. They do want to be able to sort through things. They do want to be able to know what's reliable and what's not reliable and to develop their own um, spidey sense around that uh, by learning how to be better thinkers, not just, just consumers. So I think it's gotten better. I think we have a a long way to go. And I would still say that when I give my pop quiz, uh, it does not <laughs> don't, matter. Please don't.
3: Whether don't it. <laughs> it
0: does not matter whether people have, um, you know, little education or a lot of education. Um, it's still as pervasive that people uh, just can't pass a simple pop quiz over factual information on the Bible. People have been in the church their whole lives. So we yep. still have um, a lot of work to do, but I, I'm encouraged by how things have moved.
1: Yeah. Uh, hmm. JT, what, what what would you say?
3: I'm surprised. Uh, just to maybe answer briefly, I'm really encouraged that Jen is encouraged because <laughs> that's that's amazing. Uh, I uh, I'm thankful for that. I, you know, I was at a com- I spoke at a conference earlier this week, and one of the I, I did a couple sessions, and one of the sessions I led I was kind of more just dialogical. It was with pastors and leaders and ministry leaders and. I just said, hey, are you guys aware of the Lifeway study of the State of Theology 2022? Just kind of asked broadly. There's a room of, I don't know, two, three hundred, and maybe 15 of them were, 20? And that was actually kind of discouraging to me. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, Jen Jen's kind of like giving me a source of hope right now, because if we look at the State <laughs> of Theology statistically, it's not it's not really kind of where I think any of us on this podcast would say we we hope it would be, or where we want to be. Mm-hmm. I do think I, I see some encouraging trend lines around, Active learning environments. I mean, just mm-hmm. this morning, Kyle and I were on a call of, you know, 15 churches mm-hmm. thinking about how do we do this in the life of the church? How do we think about actually discipling people, not just kind of gathering people? So I definitely think there's some encouraging trend lines. So I, I agree with Jen there. But I, and I also know Jen would say this we're not where we need to be. And that's where, I, Kyle, I don't know what your next question is. I'm just going to ask the question. You know, one of the fascinating things, Dr. Allen, I think is what's the relationship between churches, local institutions, mm-hmm. and here I am in Arvada, Colorado. I'm trying to disciple the 2,000 people that God has at my church, while also institutions of higher education. And you're sending out missionaries and faculty and pastors. What what should the relate like? What would a healthy relationship look like between an institution that is for the church and the church?
2: Yeah. So let me maybe kind of take, kind of build a little momentum into the question, J.T. With a couple comments based upon what you and, and uh, Jen just said. Uh, first of all, really glad I don't have to take Jen's pop quiz. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, yeah. I do worse I, I, each time. I, I would say that I'm kind of somewhere between the two of you guys. Um, I, I see it kind of as the best of times and the worst of times. On one hand, I see a lot to be encouraged by the intentionality mm-hmm. that we have as an institution, the intentionality of our students that they have. Mm-hmm. So also the embarrassment of riches we have by way of resources and by yeah. focus, and the fact that we're having this yeah. conversation right now—that's that, very encouraging. I would say the embarrassment of riches uh, does have a downside. We are a distracted society. Our church members live distracted lives. I mean, the amount of images that come before us and the the amount of content that comes at us through our phones and through other touch points, is really mind blowing You look at the data. Mm -hmm. So our ability to retain and to process and our willingness to make time and space and meditate and study, that's being challenged, okay? The other part that's the worst of times is uh, students coming into our institution oftentimes are coming not from a Christian home, often coming having been converted in college. And so they're not showing up with like 15 years of of Sunday school classes, not showing up with 14 years of discipleship groups. And so they're coming in needing more. The good news is, again, we're in this conversation and institutions like are being hyper intentional to teach and the good news, and this is really good news is, there's a generational appetite I think that's being stirred. Yes, That's part theological right. where we're saying, hey, you need the word of God, this is the word of God. It leads to life, it shapes you, it sanctifies you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The last thing I would say, and this is a little more contextual, we're all creatures of context here, but even before the podcast today and the conversation being on my radar, one of the things that I've just been on my mind a lot in recent months seasonally is a dad with five kids. They're now 19 to 14 as a man who serves in a local church context as a teaching pastor and getting to serve God's people that way. Um, the word delight is increasingly big to me delighting in God's Word and pointing my children and even local church and people in my spheres about what it means to delight in God's Word and to study it and to memorize it and and and, and to wrestle with it and even naughty texts and the delight that gives you as far as it being nourishing and edifying. So that's what I'll say. Now, now a little bit more to your question about the local church and the seminary. I, I there, there is a symbiotic relationship, okay? Yep. On the one hand, uh, we're working really hard to produce students that in every way are fully prepared to honor Christ, wherever they're called, mission field, local church, marketplace, et cetera. So doing our best for the season we have to invest in. And so on the one hand, the type of graduate we produce, we, we certainly we certainly bear a great deal of responsibility in that regard, um, as does the students, how diligent they are, but also as does the church, by that I mean, the churches who send them, uh, we kind of take what we can get. And yes, there are missions qualifications, a call to ministry, spiritual journey, uh, recommendations and all that. But if students show up having come from one of your local churches that are more intentional about this, they show up far better prepared to, to step into the classroom and get more out of it. If they're coming out of a context where they are recently converted, or maybe they've been converted many years, but from a very weak local church, then we we are having to work double time mm-hmm. to catch them up. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yep. Oh, yes. And so there is a symbiotic relationship as far as the quality of students we, we receive and the quality of graduates we are able to send out and back to the churches. I think as well, there's a symbiotic relationship where we're having to hear from pastors and we are hearing from pastors as to what they're perceiving the needs to be at the local church level. Everything from the ethical issues and questions they're being confronted with to the type of training that they think their 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 staff members are need need to be need to receive so they're better positioned to serve to serve their okay. congregation
1: Yeah. No, I think that's really helpful. And I do think that one of the things that's blown me away and surprised me about that increasing appetite, uh, Dr. Allen, is uh, even as we hear from listeners of Knowing Faith regularly, they'll be like, yeah, you know, I came to faith in high school or in college, but nobody really discipled me. Nobody taught me how to read the Bible. Nobody, Nobody taught me just like basics of doctrine. And now I'm using, you know, Knowing Faith and me and some friends are meeting up to talk through these things. And so I do feel like that spiritual appetite is growing. And if there, I mean, there are uh, certainly benefits and burdens that have come with a life in a digital age, but one of the mm-hmm. benefits is just accessibility. And I think about even some of the creative ways that you guys are engaging people on the literacy conversation with the For the Church Institute, which right. I, we've pointed the listeners to before, but I just like, if you haven't, if you've been listening to the show and you keep hearing me talk about the FTC Institute or For the Church Institute do yourself a favor and go check it out because it's the kind of creative response that we need that isn't bracketing some of this, uh, training behind a paywall or behind an admissions wall. And you should really go look into it. If you have any interest in just taking like, I like the podcast, but I'm looking for like a step further. You should go check this out because it's really worthwhile. I, I would say that one of the questions that maybe somebody is asking is this, because we've talked a lot about biblical literacy. Let me ask it to everyone. And Jen and JT will know what I'm trying to do with this. It's kind of a, you know, it's not it's not really a question, but I'm just teeing it up. <laughs> Are any of your questions
3: really questions, Kyle? I kind of know where you're going.
1: <laughs> they're all, it's all, they're pretty leading. Um, uh <laughs> doesn't Jesus, like, okay, so we're talking about Bible literacy, knowing the Bible better, knowing our sacred text. you know, uh, talking about the Southern Baptist history of battling for the Bible. And we're kind of presuming that everyone who's listening is going, yeah, knowing the Bible is a really crucial part of discipleship. But it sounds to me like Jesus actually chastises the Pharisees that they care too much about the Bible. (laughs) They're studying it too hard and they're missing, you know, the free-flowing fellowship with God and radical obedience. So, why should we be people of the book? Why should we give our time and attention and resources to studying God's word seriously? Why does that matter if Jesus is taking the Pharisees to task for studying it too closely? Right, Jen? Am I right? I'm rightly interpreting (laughs) that passage.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So uh, of course we all know uh, the part of the great commission that says that we're to teach others to observe all that he's commanded. Uh, Those were, I believe Jesus said the great commission, unless uh, memory fails me. Uh, Not only that, but we always, need to be reminded that the Pharisees were whitewashed tombs, uh, and we have the Holy Spirit, which does not mean that we immediately have understanding of everything that the Scriptures say. In fact, I would say that it doesn't mean that at all, but it does mean that our intentions are different than those of the Pharisees. We we learn so that we can be humbled, not so that we can be exalted. Uh, and then, you know, not only that, but Based on the uh, the random sampling of Bible quizzes that I have done around the country in various environments, I promise you that the church today is in far more danger of biblical ignorance than it is of biblical arrogance. People do not know the Bible, and we're staking our lives on it. And so yeah. I think you can point to a lot of the deconstruction conversations that are happening and know that many people, while I respect that, I never want you to hear me say a negative thing about someone who is going through that process— a lot of times it's happening because they're leaving a faith they were never truly introduced to and and and, and brought into. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, first of all, I think the Pharisees need to be subjected to one of Jen's pop quizzes uh, uh, yeah, to see do. how well they relate to their <laughs> Bibles. Uh, the, the second thing I would say is the issue of the Pharisees, of course, was not just that they took the Scriptures too seriously, but but that they even added to the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and look, it's, it's, you know, I don't think evangelicalism in the main is in danger of drifting and to that degree of seriousness, it tends yep. to be the <laughs> other extreme of the compendium, right? The next thing yep. I want to say is, and, and I'll, I'll be brief here on it, but but it's interesting, even the providence of this conversation. Uh, last night, I was teaching local church setting, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And English Bibles, you know, you know if you have a good translation, which everyone I'm speaking to did, uh, I just walked through that passage with them. I, I wanted to draw their attention to the different conjunctions that show up within those verses. I said, notice the conjunctions here. And uh, and I was trying to show them the basic movements of that passage that so they could see quite clearly with their English Bible. No need to know Greek. Uh, no need to get some degree to, to actually follow the basic contours of this passage. I, I kept saying to them. what I want you to understand is you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can do this. You can do this. Now, I lead an institution, committed to higher education. I love to see students get an MDF degree. But I want to even more loudly than that say to the listeners today, hey, you can study your Bible. So not right. To not just hear, hey, hey, you should do it, but you can do it and you can do it with just some basic commitments to observation <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and interpretation even at the English level. You can, you can have very rich encounters with your scripture and find yourself growing in profound ways just by paying attention to the basic word structures and movements in a good English translation.
1: Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Well, I, I do want
2: to kind of land the plane here because
1: uh, JT asked a great question early on uh, about uh, the relationship between, you know, the seminary institution, the life of a local church. Um, but I would be interested to hear uh you know, seminaries kind of plant their flags in different hills. And and you guys have planted yours at, at, at like a kind of a brand level tagline. We're for the church, which is like, it it resonates so much with the heart of knowing faith to see this biblical and theological discipleship that is from and for the church. How, how crucial is it in your view that pastors, church leaders, missionaries, church planters that are emerging from Midwestern value biblical literacy in the churches that they're going to plant, that they're going to lead, that they're going to serve. Would you say like low value, high value, where does that rank on the spectrum of the graduates of Midwestern? So Cal, this is clearly
2: one of your leading questions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm giving you a softball here, Dr. Allen. I'm throwing it up for this is like a Mm -hmm. wiffle ball. Mm -hmm. Uh of course we highly value it. Absolutely. I mean, Christian ministry begins with the right preaching and teaching of God's word. The qualifications for the elder, to be an elder begins with the qualification. And the only gifting there is to be able to, to preach it and teach the word of God. Saint Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. I mean, you, you, we're born again by a seed that is not that is not perishable, but imperishable. I mean, ministry goes back to to preaching and teaching the word. So I guess there's more than that we do, but there's nothing less than that we do. So in my mind, it's proof positive we're doing our job well if I look back in the years to come and see a generation of men and women who've left this institution and are faithfully preaching and teaching the word of God. It's, 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 it's an indictment on our work if I look back in a couple of decades and I can't see mm-hmm. those types of graduates in the churches and on the mission field. Yeah, Mm. I love that. That's good.
1: I love that, Dr. Allen. Thank you for making time to join us today. Really grateful for it.
2: Delighted to be with you, Kyle. I should like pay you like to promote Midwestern Seminary. I mean, you're such a fan here, and I appreciate your kind words you said about the institution. We're grateful what God's doing here at Midwestern and Spurgeon College, and really grateful to be able to partner with you with you friends in this great endeavor. It's exciting. It's exciting.
1: Listen, if you want to hear more from Dr. Allen, go check out his wonderfully helpful book. Particularly if you're thinking through calling to ministry, it's called Discerning Your Call to Ministry. It is really practical, very on the ground. Check it out. If If you're ready to take your next step in theological training, I encourage you to consider Midwestern Seminary and how their For the Church vision can equip you through formal theological education. You can learn more about how to get started at mbts.edu slash knowingfaith. Find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast. Drop a question in there. We'll explore it in a future episode. Check out our sister shows, Family Discipleship, Confronting Christianity, Starting Place, and the forthcoming show, which we're very excited about, Tiny Theologians, with Amy Kate Gannett. We hope you enjoyed the show today and the discussion. Grace and peace.